a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. With Lee Lonsberry, from Utah's Capitol Hill to your schools, Texas, and all the breaking news. Hear it on Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry on KSL News Radio. Hey, welcome to this Friday episode of Live Mike. We've made it. What is it? Episode number, uh, let me click and clack over here. 292. That's pretty good. Uh, it's Saturday Eve. We made it. Uh, listen, on the program today, we're going to cover a lot of ground and uh, we're going to kick off by looking at a number of the bits of legislation that you have heard covered not only on this program but on other shows and elsewhere that uh, really, really are going to have a big impact potentially uh, on your life and the way that life is lived here in the state of Utah. There's a big stack of bills that have uh, earned all the requisite votes from the House and the Senate and the committees, and it is now uh, the case in many instances that they are on to the governor's desk. We're going to look at some of that. Also, uh, during the program, we're going to have an opportunity to speak with both the president of the Utah Senate, President Stuart Adams, as well as House Speaker Brad Wilson. We're going to get a, a quick look at how things are going for them on this, the last day of the Utah uh, general session of the of the Utah legislature. We'll see what has their attention captured, what they were, what they're hoping for, what they're predicting, and uh, anything else they care to share with us. Also, we're going to spend some time talking guns. Uh, at one o'clock, we'll be speaking with uh, former Utah Representative Kurt Oda. You remember Curtis Oda? Uh, Yeah, he's going to talk to us a bit about this permitless carry bill and some of the things that we have yet to cover but are important that you know when it comes to, uh, you know, the way guns will be carried in this state come May 5th. And then later in the program, we're going to talk about mask etiquette. Yeah, mask etiquette. I found myself uh, out either jogging or hiking, and oftentimes I do so without a mask. If I'm not, uh, you know, like in a crowd, uh, I'm not. I'm not wearing a mask outside when the wind is blowing, and there's plenty of distance between uh, me and someone else. <clears throat> so sometimes, though, in that instance, in those situations, uh, as I cross paths with folks on the trail, instead of uh, you know taking a making a wide berth. I'll get some guffaws and some looks, and sometimes uh, some some not so some not so friendly comments. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that later on in the program. I'll also uh, ask for your input, what your experience has been, as you have uh, you know understandably uh, had to navigate some of these kind of new situations, and have we how have we been able to establish the new etiquette of the day? Plus, a uh, big announcement, big announcement coming towards the end of the program. So, uh, plenty of cover. On the show today, uh, be sure to stick around for that announcement. We'll make it at the end of the program, 2.50. Uh, be sure to tune in then. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Got something stuck in my throat. In the meantime, let's get to it, looking at some of these 
uh, pieces of legislation that are now on to the, the governor's desk. The first one, uh, Senate Bill 127. You remember uh, Paris Hilton came to town? Yeah, she uh, testified before a committee, and the, the piece of legislation that she was supporting would enact more regulations on the state's quote-unquote troubled teen centers, and the bill would set new rules for that industry for the first time in some 15 years. Uh, if you remember, the, the coverage was pretty extensive when uh, uh, young Miss Paris Hilton came to town and testified before that committee uh, supporting the legislation uh, introduced by uh, Senator Mike McKell. Interesting stuff, and it is on to the, the governor's desk. Uh, another one <clears throat> another one we were going to discuss just yesterday, and this one has to do with with voters voters affiliated with a, a political party. Uh, it, it prevents those voters from switching parties, party affiliation, in the months before primary elections. If you remember during the primary season in the election of uh, our governor, uh, there were some you know, tens of thousands of newly registered Republicans. And, and there are some who point to that and claim that the system was gamed, that there were those uh, who, there were those who, uh, who wanted to see you know, a certain candidate do well. Uh, and the, the theory was that many of those newly registered Republicans were former Democrats. I, I think as further study and further analysis of that has concluded, we have learned that for the most part that they were, there were fewer uh, fewer Democrats switching parties than there were simply unaffiliated voters who had for the first time registered as uh, Republicans. With that said, though, uh, I, it, it, is, it is the case that there were many Democrats who did, you know, in, the, in these few moments before the primary election, uh, the Republican primary voting for the gubernatorial candidate on the Republican side, Democrats who did switch parties. Uh, I, you know, m- many folks will try to discount that reality, uh, but I am aware personally of of many of them. Uh, I'll, I'll admit I have a handful of friends uh, who did exactly this. They're those types of friends that when we are uh, breaking bread together, politics uh, as a conversation doesn't come up. We're more about uh, we're more chatting about, oh, what'd you do uh, in the great out of doors or what'd you see last on Netflix? Uh, not so much politics. But anyway, <laughs> I, I bring that up only to say that, yes, in fact, uh, that tactic has been employed. And um, uh, Representative uh, Tusher out of South Jordan is behind this legislation. What it would do is it would prevent voters from switching party affiliation in the three months before the primary elections. Here is the representative presenting the bill on Utah's Capitol Hill. This bill is set out to ensure that our primary elections have integrity and that we avoid gamesmanship. And I've worked really hard with the interest groups to try to tailor this bill down as much as possible to ensure that we prevent this types of gamesmanship, but we allow those who want to change their affiliation for legitimate reasons the opportunity to do that. Now, I did the best I could explaining things, but who better to explain it than the legislator behind it? So uh, here, let's go through the, the explanation once more. Representative Tusher explaining this on the floor of Utah's Capitol Hill. From April to the primary. Um, So in those even numbered years when we have partisan elections, um, if you are registered within a party, you you can't change to a different party during that period right before the primary. Um, Why April? Well, initially the bill had January as the date. 
again, we worked with everyone to figure out when is the time that makes the most amount of sense. Um, and this seemed to be it. It was after the filing period. So everyone knew who the candidates were. It's after the precinct caucuses. So every can, everyone can participate in those processes. Um, but it's before those county conventions and state conventions um, where you might start to see a little bit more of the, the gamesmanship going on. One last comment here from the representative as he explains how the bill would work. We've tailored this bill to only apply to those who are registered in a party. The initial bill applied to everyone. Um, with this new bill, it does not apply to unaffiliated voters or to new voters. Those voters can change and affiliate, register up to the same day as the primary and still vote in the election. But if you are registered in a different party and you want to switch to a party, those changes wouldn't go into effect until after the primary. I, I'm a little bit torn on this, and I, you know, I'm probably late to the debate right now because, well, it's been passed and is now on its way to the, the governor's desk for signature. Uh, but, but two little details I'd point out before we go to break. A uh, co-sponsor of the bill on the Senate side, Kurt Bramble of Provo, a Republican, uh, he noted that over 79,000 Utahns uh, switched their party affiliation to vote in the 2020 Republican primary. Uh, now, now, he said switched. That could mean uh, a few things. It could be, uh, you know, someone who had, uh, you know, identified themselves as independent, switching to then uh, be a part of the Republican Party, or in those instances that I, you know, was able to witness firsthand or at least hear from individuals who had employed this tactic of switching parties uh, from Democrat to Republican to influence the Republican primary, uh, that was certainly uh, that was certainly uh, really happening. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and then th- this last note comes from uh, Senator Derek Kitchen. Remember, we spoke to him a few days ago about uh, donating blood. Uh, they wear a lot of hats up on Utah's Capitol Hill. And uh, on this day, Senator Kitchen, a Democrat from Salt Lake City, questioned why the state needs to get involved in these issues instead of letting parties determine uh, that for themselves. One of the one of the, the things that you will hear from both Republican Party leaders as well as Democratic Party leaders often is that they are private organizations, uh, private entities. It is interesting that that this type of law or this type of legislation which would impact state law is being forwarded and it's not being handled uh, at the party level. There may now I, I only say this because I hear so often the parties themselves talking about uh, you know desiring their autonomy. Um, <clears throat> there, there may be some sort of like statutory prohibition on this uh, and it requires legislative action. I, I don't know, but the spirit of it uh, does make me you know want to dig in and learn a bit more. Uh, but as I said, I may be late to the game because it's down to the governor's desk next. We're going to take a, a quick break, and I have uh, the list continues of bills that are now on to the governor's desk and. That doesn't mean that they are law quite yet. There is still the bill to uh, change the, the process for renaming Dixie State University. There, uh, Oh, there's that bill that we discussed regarding mugshots. Uh, plus, shared medical costs, the responsibility of biological fathers to their unborn children. We're going to get into that next. And if you have strong feelings about any of this, if you'd like to communicate those feelings to the governor as he makes up his mind, I'll share with you exactly how to do so next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Hey, welcome back. 12:51 is the time here in the KSL newsroom. We're continuing our look at those bits of legislation that are that are still alive, that have been passed by the House and the Senate here on Utah's Capitol Hill. That is, along with the uh, various relevant committees. 
last step in the process, as you may remember from the civics class back there in high school, the governor. Governor Spencer Cox has in uh, in his possession the power to sign uh, a good deal of this legislation into law. Uh, we're walking through the list of some of those uh, bills that have made it to his desk. And, and let me tell you this, as we as we discuss this or as you read about it in the paper or hear others discuss various pieces of legislation, uh, know that there is still time to to let your voice be heard. These bills that are destined for the governor's desk, plus the what we heard in the newscast there, 100 plus pieces of legislation still to be debated uh, and voted upon in the remaining, what, 11 and a half hours or so of this year's general session of the Utah State Legislature. As, as you come to be familiar with the bills ready to go to Spencer Cox's desk, Governor Cox, that is, if you would like to communicate to him, you can do so. Let me tell you how to do it. You pull up your uh, your smartphone or your tablet or your computer, whatever uh, allows you access to the Internet, and type in, real simply, governor.utah.gov. Governor.utah.gov. There is uh, a little little box up in the corner. It says Contact, and you can share with the governor uh, those contacts. You may be thinking, you may be thinking cynically that that type of, that type of, you know, outreach, you know, sending a form to the, the governor, never going to hear that. Well, I can assure you that I have been not not in the office of Spencer Cox, of the governor currently, uh, but I have been in many offices where, uh, you know, elected officials uh, or business leaders, they they receive this type of, of information and input. And I can tell you with a surety that the, the staff that supports them, uh, plus the, the principals themselves, that they do... Uh, review this type of this type of stuff, and if if enough people communicate in the same way, well, that sometimes uh, can influence uh, the the decisions made by those in- individuals. It will certainly it will certainly uh, get them to at least make sure that what they are intending to do is what they truly want to do, or if it's something that deserves reconsideration. So anyway, that's my long pitch to <laughs> don't be discouraged. Your voice still can be heard, and you can do it through clicking and clacking on the Internet, navigating your way to governor.utah.gov, clicking on the contact option, and sending your view as you uh, listen here to these remaining bits of legislation which are destined for his desk. I mentioned there briefly the, the piece of legislation that deals with jail photos. Yeah, jail photos, uh, HB 228 uh, by Kevin Stratton. If you remember, we spoke with Representative Stratton some time ago, and I uh, I was very clear on my feelings. Uh, I was very clear that I agree wholeheartedly uh, in in this piece of legislation. Now, you might, if you know, if you've been following this issue very, very closely, you might say, Lee, how's that the case? I, I thought it was members of the media that were lobbying to you know to to prevent this from passing. And that done in the spirit of, well, you know, we were very responsibly handle uh, the, the images that are sent. And, and while that is true at many organizations, you know, you will uh, only post a, a mug shot if, you know, if there is uh, an ongoing danger or if it is high profile uh, to the degree where it is of public benefit 
to see who the suspected offender might be. Well, the, the truth is not every outlet is that way. Not every uh, not everyone on the internet has the you know has the discipline and has the wherewithal to you know consider what they're doing when they post a mugshot either online or in print. What they are doing is they are displaying the image of an innocent American. Why? How do, what do I mean? Well, because when someone is at the stage of uh, you know, seeking justice where their booking photo is taken or a mugshot is snapped, there has been, even at that point, there have been no charges filed. There has uh, certainly been no trial, and there has been no ultimate decision by a, a judge or a jury uh, of their peers. And so you have innocent individuals oftentimes uh, depicted uh, very broadly and publicly, individuals that uh, really are innocent. And many times, as we heard from Representative Stratton, those individuals that you see, charges are never filed against them. It's just, oh, you've been arrested, and okay, I'll tell you what, let's all forget it happened and go along your way. No charges filed. Thank you so much. And how about this? Someone uh, does face some charges, and oh my gosh, a trial ensues. Uh, there's some back and forth, ultimately, uh, either you know a settlement or a dismissal or an acquittal. Who knows? But something short of a guilty conviction takes place. The truth is, the reality of you know this worldwide web style life that we live and world we live in <clears throat> is that that image associated with that person being arrested is going to live on forever. And not always is there follow-up. Not always is there a reporter that remembered sharing a mugshot from, uh, you know, 18 months ago and, oh, we're going to need to follow up because there was an acquittal here. No, no, you know, the the, the arrest was pretty high profile, so we posted that, but uh, acquittals aren't that exciting, so eh, moving on. What does that mean? It means that that individual who 18 months ago had their mugshot snapped and, and, and published online, and, and it's not just journalists and reporters. No, it's, I mean, it could be anybody, right? It is equally accessible to all. Uh, so it finds itself, the mugshot does, uh, a new home on the Internet. That's shared far and wide. And then, let's say, uh, this young individual decides to get a job someday. And during the course of evaluation, as to the worthiness of that potential employee, the employer or the HR department or someone uh, they're clicking and clacking, doing a little bit of vetting on the Internet, and they see, oh, my gosh, look at this guy. Look at that Look at that mean look on his face. Look at his tussled hair and his stretched-out T-shirt. We can't hire someone like that. What does that mean? We can't hire someone who, it turns out, uh, was a victim of the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, arrested, sure, yes, mugshot taken, yes, but not long after that, uh, everything was cleared up, no charges were filed. That is an innocent man and has never been convicted of anything. We don't get the job. And how about how about this? Let's say uh, that same young man who was arrested those 18 months ago had a mugshot taken, had it distributed on the Internet, meets a young woman and uh, commences courting this young woman. Is that a word used anymore? Courting? I don't know. Ultimately, young man gets invited to meet mom and dad. Uh, Dad's pretty good on the Internet. He clicks and clacks around and finds out that the young man courting his young daughter got himself arrested once. That can't be. And the relationship that could have been never was because dad stepped in and torpedoed it all. 
even though he was looking at a picture of an innocent man. That's onto the governor's desk. All right, quick break. We're going to return and speak with an old friend of mine, Kurt Oda, former Utah representative. We're talking about Utah's permitless carry and what comes next. That's all ahead on Live Mike. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.